Now, a very special morning, as it always is, when Schlemmer and Metz are in the studio. Good morning, Jeff and Bob. Good morning, Jim. Uh, the guys are here as they are every Wednesday for our little uh, philosophical roundtable. We call it Left, Right, and Center because we try to explore the issues of the day from those three perspectives. Although, it's interesting to me, and somebody commented on this the other day, that as the show has developed, guys, that, that although we do seem to cover left, right, and center, it isn't, Bob isn't necessarily always covering the right, I'm not always in the center, and Jeff's not always in the left. And he was saying this as a positive thing. He thought that was very nice that... Yeah, I kind of look at the title of the show more about the nature of the subjects we're talking about. Exactly. And, and you never know, like... Jeff and I have, I think we've agreed the last two or three times. Oh, <laughs> right. Somebody said that the other day. We gotta start disagreeing again. Yeah. Well, well today, like we'll today do might be that. Yeah, we might just be able to do it. I want to set up today's uh, discussion, at least kick it off. And of course, folks, you know that these discussions go wherever they go. We don't have any rules about sticking to a topic or anything. They go wherever the guys uh, feel it's uh, it's germane to take us. There is, has been a series in the free press the last few days about poverty in our community. There's been some very compelling stories there. There have been some troubling elements to them, too. Um, some of them were addressed by Kelly Tehan in her column yesterday in the Free Press about people saying that, well, maybe some of these poor folks should take more responsibility for themselves. Perhaps they should have made different life decisions. They wouldn't be in the fix they're in today, et cetera, et cetera. And she noted quite rightly that, well, they are in that fix. I mean, the today is today, and it's nice to say you should have done something in the past, but we have to deal with the reality while we look ahead to the future, too. Given that context, uh, Helen Connell has an interesting column today. She's the editor of the Free Press and a regular contributor to this program on Mondays on uh, uh, the Free Press Hour. She has an interesting comment here. She's talking about poverty lines and the difference uh, between the definitions of poverty, whether you're talking about the National Anti-Poverty Coalition, um, some of the stats can things, the Fraser Institute. Seems everybody with a stake in this issue has their own idea of what poverty is or is not. But she has this very interesting sentence in here. And I'm sure Helen will have some things to say to me about it on Monday, but that's okay. She says, we can't begin to measure poverty unless we determine the standard of living to which every Canadian is entitled. Now, to me and to many, many other people, that word entitled when it comes to social services and so on, is uh, kind of waving a red flag in front of a bull. Um, and I think, if we can talk about left, right, and center again momentarily, I think people who see themselves in the middle as I do, my sense is, after years of having done this job and talking to literally thousands of people about issues out there, my sense is that most of, of, the, of the Canadians in that big middle, they're a little concerned about the use of that word in that sense as well entitled people are entitled to something because what entitled means in in our societal context is they're entitled vicariously to put their hand in your pocket because that's ultimately what it comes down to so i thought this morning we'd maybe take a look at this issue of poverty in our community jeff is very involved on a number of fronts in this bob is a very interested observer and and uh, stays up to date on the, on all the various aspects of this particular issue so jeff i want to start with you this morning does a sentence like that, we can't begin to measure poverty unless we determine the standard of living to which every Canadian is entitled. Does that raise your hackles at all, or is that a reasonable thing to say? 
I think it is a reasonable thing to say, and I think that uh, I, I know what you're saying about the word entitled. If you think about somebody else claiming to be entitled to something that belongs to you, that's something that you find offensive. But I think that the, the word entitlement has sort of got a bad rap, in, in, at least in North America in the last few years. And I think that there are things that we think that we are entitled to. I, I think, for instance, that if I walk down the street, that I'm entitled not to uh, be subjected to a body cavity search. Mm -hmm. I think that's an entitlement. I don't think that it's a, a privilege or anything else. I think that as a Canadian, I'm entitled to that. I should not have to expect that that's going to happen. I think, for instance, that if you uh, buy an insurance contract, if you pay insurance for years and years, then your house burns down, you're entitled to have them pay you the money back. It's not that you're asking for it. It's not charity or anything else. It's that you're entitled as somebody who paid all those policies to get the, get the proceeds. And I think by the same token that as a Canadian citizen, who, uh, which, uh, who, who've paid taxes for years and years and years, that if things go badly or things go wrong, that I'm entitled to expect something back, that, they, that it's like an insurance policy that will keep me going for a while. Now you can argue about where the line should be drawn and all that kind of stuff, but uh, in, to my way of thinking, as a Canadian citizen, bearing in mind that we all pay a lot of tax all the time, the poor pay lots of tax just as the rich do, uh, I think that there are certain things you're entitled to. And one of the things that struck me this morning was reading uh, Kelly Tian's uh, article about um, the poverty line and where the poverty line should be drawn. She was talking about all these things that you don't expect the poor to have today that they would have had in the 50s. And they're comparing whether the poor are better off than now than they were in the 50s. They said, well, back in the 50s, a lot of people didn't have indoor plumbing. Uh, whereas now you expect that they will. And, and I think that that's not an unreasonable place to, to say there's a line there, that uh, realistically in the, in the world we live in today where all of us have become so much more prosperous for the most part than we were in the 50s, uh, indoor plumbing is something that you're entitled to. Robert? It's funny what Jeff's actually hit upon a, a very profound point here. He's, he's equating the word entitlement with rights, basically. But they're two different things. You can't, you know, a right cannot impose an obligation upon someone else, or it wouldn't be a right. Because my right to freedom of action and thought must not impose anything upon anyone else other than their respecting my right and my respecting theirs. That's how it works. When we talk about entitlement, we're, in the left-wing sense of the word, we're talking about entitlement to more taxes, more money from the taxpayer. To me, I wouldn't have a problem with the word entitlement if it meant something different. If we were to say, for example, that the minimum standard of living, let's say everybody should be entitled to a basic $20,000 tax exemption before you're even taxed for one cent. If you're going to be entitled to a basic standard of living, then the only restriction should be placed on the government not to tax you or bother you for any money you make, you know, up to that level or less. That I could, I, I would buy the word entitlement there, but not when it means that Mr. A is entitled to the money in Mr. B's pocket because, uh, I mean, poverty is the natural state of things, let us face it. What is unnatural is wealth. And what we should be seeing in papers like the London Free Press, our series on, on the great wealth creators, the people who created wealth. And or reading lots about Bill way. Gates these days. <laughs> well, he's just one example of many, but are, many people have found wealth in totally different ways and created, created it in different ways. And I just think that uh, 
you cannot just create an arbitrary figure out of the air and say that everyone's entitled to X dollars, because it's going to be a financial measurement, let's face it. It's not going to be a moral measurement. It's not going to be a social measurement. It's not going to be a measurement based on how clean you keep your house or anything like that. It's going to come down to dollars and cents, because that's what it's all about. And when, and when lefties like Jeff here talk entitlement, they're talking dollars and cents, and usually somebody else's money. What about Jeff's argument, though, that a taxpayer, he's paid in for a long time, and he's entitled to be taken care of if he hits a rocky back? Well, I'd like to believe that, too, but it's a fairy tale, and taxes, where's your contract, you know? Was it, taxes are not tied to any promise of anything other than what the latest elected politician might try to pull over on you. But beyond that, you, had, you don't really have any power over where your tax dollars go, and we don't even have any protection in terms of uh, where taxes would end. Like, like, I mean, there's no entitlement to an individual's right to the fruits of his own labor. I mean, the government, basically, I don't see what could stop them from taking 100% of your money. There's no law in place that says you can't. Let's go to the phones now after we remind you that the lines are open, 643-1290. Star 1290 is the Cantel cellular number. If you'd like to become a part of our program today, that's exactly how you do it. And we go to the phones now where John is with us. Hi, John. Oh, good morning, sir. Uh, we've made much reference to poverty these days. I think poverty starts from the poverty of spirit. Um, people get into these situations, they see no way out of it. And quite frankly, they resign to the, you know, to the whatever life um, grants them. Basically, we're talking about responsibility of society. I, I would suggest that it's the responsibility of society to ensure that poverty of spirit doesn't exist and and relieve it. How do we do that? You give the, these people a guarantee, and you keep that guarantee. Who gives it to them? The, the system. Okay. A guarantee of what? Money? Not uh, along with uh, a guarantee of being able to, uh, how shall we say, meet their own uh, meager requirements of life. Wouldn't wouldn't giving them money though be a contradictory to your purpose of well, trying to get rid of that resignation that what, people have? I mean, if somebody's handing me the money, I'm not going to be have a lot of incentive. The incentive, uh, how shall we say, is. Okay, then, what is the poverty line? Now, the Canada statistics state that it's somewhere in the region of 24,000 per family of war. I am the first to disagree with that amount. I would suggest that it's lesser. But the point is this, that when you have a certain group of people advocating that a certain entitlement is there, then it's, it's understandable that those trying to attain that entitlement, uh, you know, uh, pursue what society has deemed as that entitlement. So they're going to, if it's waved before their noses, they're going to go after it? Beg your pardon? If it's waved before their noses, they're likely to go after it then? Well, of course, that's, uh, that's human nature. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's the law of nature. Mm. Uh, it's, it's just that... Well, you see, there's why I don't, another reason I don't like the word entitlement, it means somebody doesn't even have to ask. And I don't think anybody's in trouble until he at least goes to the trouble to ask for help. Well, and that's where the indignity often falls upon a person who has a little bit of, of spirit and a little bit of pride. What, do, you, that do you think all it's of undignified? That is removed on the basis that they make application for something that they wish they didn't have to. 
Well, that may be the case, but remember what they're making application for is not theirs. So that, that should be the least we should expect of someone in that position. But it is considered and to be an element of, of human generosity of spirit to, to not require someone to come begging to you. If you can see that they have a need, it's considered to be uh, a dignified thing on your part to say, I'm not going to make you beg to me. You know, I've got more than I need. Here's something. That's considered to be a good human attribute. Well, it may be, but I don't know that you're always doing the person a favor. I mean, uh, and if you assume that people want your help when maybe they don't want it and don't need it, uh, I think you're going to be doing more harm than good. Well, you, you may have some, excuse me, you may have some more callers. I would put this to you, and you good gentlemen can debate as to its worthiness. And I will also answer the que ask the question as, who do you think that wrote it? And it's called self-reliance is stimulated by hope. There are a great many people who tell you that such a policy as I've been endeavoring to outline to you this afternoon will make our country stronger because it will stop the self-reliance of the working class. It is very easy for the rich people to preach the virtues of self-reliance to the poor. It is also very foolish because as a matter of fact, the wealthy so far from being self-reliant are dependent upon the constant attention of scores and sometimes thousands of people who are employed in waiting upon and administering to their every need. And that's the crux of the matter. Now, who do you think wrote that? I'm going to guess Winston Churchill. That's right. <laughs> and I would suggest you good people, with the greatest respect, that you read his book, The People's Rights and the People's Welfare, which interestingly was written in 1908. Thanks for the call, John. Bye-bye. You know, I, I take exception to this. It's easy for the rich to preach self-reliance to the poor. I, I preach self-reliance, and I'm not rich, Jim. I think and we, I don't know anybody who preaches self-reliance who is rich. I think we should note also in the context of uh, that, that Churchill, the context he made that, if memory serves, it was during an election campaign, and his comments about the rich were directed as much or more towards the nobility than the, well, shall we say, the nouveau. In that society, the rich meant something different, and the rich got rich through a means that I wouldn't support, which is a state, you know? Like, so they're not even the genuine rich. They, they should be classified as a separate entity, because I think someone's rich who has earned his way in the marketplace. But that fundamental statement, though, surely that's something you see all the time. I, at least I do all the time. I see people who are well-off saying, you know, why don't those people on welfare just go get a job? Why don't they have the uh, bar budgeting skills that I have and so on? I do, I do see that kind of... Um, Holier than that was too strong a way of putting it, but just not putting themselves into the shoes of the other person. Well, I think you're wrong there. I think they have been in the other person's shoes, and they lifted Some themselves have. up from it. Most Lots of them have. have. Well, most of the people I know have, and I know people who've been poor and rich and poor and rich. My family was like that. My father was in the construction industry, probably was a millionaire twice over and a pauper twice over. I mean, he went bankrupt a couple of times, and he built his business back up. And and some people can just do that, and others can't. And it's a matter of acquiring, uh, you know, that goal in life that you want to do, and you set those goals, and you make the sacrifices yourself for yourself, not for I know, someone but else. You look at guys like the Reichmans, for instance. You look at um, the Campos. Yeah, they went bankrupt but bankruptcy for them means that they're still living in a million dollar house they're still driving Mercedes and everything there's bankruptcy there's going broke for the rich and then there's going broke for the poor which is a totally different thing but but Jeffrey would you disagree though that the, again we got to be careful with this definition of rich I mean the, the campos aren't rich they're off the scale I mean <laughs> Bill Gates isn't rich you know perhaps wealthy is a better word to use as opposed to somebody who's wealthy to me somebody who's yeah. wealthy somebody who makes more money than they need well one thing I can agree with you on is that there aren't that many rich rich people like a 
you know, you see them, they're high profile, and, and they have a lot of money. And I, I've seen a, a chart that shows that the amount of wealth that they've got, Ken Thompson, uh, for instance, his wealth is just off the scale compared to even a Conrad Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thompson's got so much more. But you're right, the people, there's not much use spending a lot of time talking about those guys because there's so few of them. The, the more interesting people for me are the people who are well off. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that if we're going to have to develop standards to measure poverty, as the Free Press editorial suggests, we should have an equal standard to measure what we call rich, mm-hmm. measure what we call middle class, and find out what the consequences of those definitions become. But to That's me, it would, be, it would be a nightmare to even try That's it. That's an interesting idea, though. Let's go back to the phones where we have Ivan with us. Hello, Ivan. Hi, Jim. How are you? Good. That's good. Yeah, uh, very interesting uh, subject. I, I read that article in the newspaper, and it's all that drives the taxi cab. I took a look at his budget. He spends $35 a month on cable. He should cancel that. Mm-hmm. I don't have cable. I get six or seven channels. Spends $122 on life insurance a month. Probably that's whole life. Well, no, we don't know what it is. Well, oh yeah, I sold life insurance. Probably $122 a month, that's whole life. He should go bring a financial planner in and sell him some good term insurance. I also noticed that he smokes. That's got to cost him a hundred, couple of hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. You know, he could take that money they spend for cable and buy books. He could go to s- seminars. Mm-hmm. He can do a lot of things. There's books, Laws of Success, Think and Grow Rich. There's a fellow by the name of Og Bandino. Mm-hmm. He was one day out of money. He stood in front of a pawn shop and he saw a pistol, a 22. And he was thinking of going and buying and yeah, blowing his yeah. head off. Iron, the point, Ivan? The point is that we can change if we want to. The, why does he quit smoking? Well, I don't know. And I, I don't know that, that gentleman, Ivan. And I'm not sure that what you're doing is entirely fair to him without him being able to respond. But I think uh, I understand the point you're trying to make here. I mean, it's not our fault, Van Spoor. We walk down Dundas Street and we see these panhandlers. There's a man that every morning he's there with a cane and a cup. Mm-hmm. He's got cancer. He doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But he can, he's got enough money to buy cigarettes. All right, Ivan, thank you for the call today. 643-1290, star-1290 on the Cantel. It's left, right, and center with uh, Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz, and Gil joins us. Hi, Gil. Hi, hi. Good morning. Yeah, yeah I'd like to, to talk about this, this uh, issue of poverty. Um, the thing I wanted to zero in on is um, a week or so ago, you had a guy on um, from Nipissing College, uh, a professor. Yeah, Scott. Chris Sarlow. Yeah. Sarlow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I just wanted to sort of comment on that because... Uh, it is clear, as far as Statistics Canada is concerned, it is clear, as far as people who are social workers and, and, and work with poor people, that poverty has increased dramatically in the last few years. The gap between the rich and the poor has widened. The economy has expanded, but the money's gone to the wealthy. And I'm, I'm really concerned about people like Sarlo, who, who try and claim, by, by redefining poverty, that, that there's less poverty. And, and I think the point is that it's the Fraser Institute that really bugs me because Sarlo does this report. He says it's non-biased, but his assumptions are wrong in the first place uh, because he, said he, had, he admitted that, that poverty, he, even in his own mind, poverty hadn't changed in the last few years, but he threw in amenities and said, well, therefore, the poor are better off. Mm-hmm. And, and my concern is the Fraser Institute funds this guy. They tell him that he can say whatever he wants, but they know 
basically what his response is going to be. And then they send it out to all the radio stations, and, and it, the message gets out that poverty isn't as bad as it seems, when in fact that's the wrong message. Poverty is worse. Well, again, though, again, it comes down to in fact. I mean, he made, some, he made some assertions there. He backed them up with some research, with which some people do disagree. But I don't think that you can say with, with any sense of fairness here um, that he was wrong. I mean, you're assuming that you're right and he was wrong. I don't think you can make that assumption. But there's been lots of other studies done by lots of other uh, people at the University of Toronto and other places, not in Nipissin College, yep. that, that show that poverty is increasing. And, but we have, and we've talked about that issue on the program. We've, we've interviewed some of those people over the years. But I think the issue, the reason I had him on was here's a guy who uh, his bona fides are pretty good. We checked him out. And he had a different take on the issue. He, yeah. You know, he did say, if you recall, he did say that poverty is a serious problem in this country, that there are people who are uh, in genuine need, and we have to make sure that we're meeting their needs. His, concern, his concern, yeah. and it's the same concern that's mentioned in, the, in Helen Connell talks in her column, too. Where do you put the line? You can instantly increase the number of poor people in this country by a million by shuffling a couple of digits. You can decrease it by a million by shuffling a digit here or two. It's a subjective thing. It is subjective what is poverty and what is wealth. But the, the thing I really want to zero in on is the Fraser Institute, because they take a relatively obscure person like Sarlo in an obscure report but they use their financial resources to send a copy of that to every radio station in Canada. Yeah. And the Fraser Institute is not a non-biased organization. The people that run the Fraser Institute are getting donations from the top CEOs of Canada. Gil, Gil, nobody's non-biased, and the figures you're hearing the other way around are just as biased. No, but, but the Fraser Institute but, but, is portrayed by the media as being non-biased, and it's not. Well, Who says no, that? They, they have never been portrayed that way, but they, they support their bias with facts and statistics. However, you know, I, I take your statement. Uh, do you agree that the gap between the rich and poor is increasing? Yes, absolutely. Well, I agree too, but is that a bad thing? Yes, it is. I would, I would argue with you. I would say it's a good thing because you would think that in a free society where capital is allowed to accumulate that that process would go on forever. But I would say to you that the poor in such a society would also be increasing in relative wealth to what their previous wealth was. But of course, if someone's rich, incredibly rich, they're going to keep getting richer as long as they're being productive and serving the marketplace. But that's not what's happening because the, the wealthy are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer and the middle class is getting poorer. There's, there's, there's a split developing in our society. Well, and that's, that's not caused, but that's not caused by the wealth-creating uh, mechanism, let us say. I would put most of the blame for that on things like the national debt and the value of our dollar relative to the currencies of countries that we have to trade no, with. No, How in the world it's, does debt make rich people richer? It's it makes poor people poorer because they are the ones that have to work with the more of a fixed income. And like this winter already, I've already seen the price of uh, vegetables and things going up in the stores just because of the U.S. exchange rate. But again, why, up to us now. It, wouldn't it make sense then that uh, rich people should be paying a fair share of that? But, but the point is the rich are making more money and they have money and they can cover their basics. So it's not know, going to affect them as what much. What I'm saying is that they're, they're the ones who have benefited more than anybody else by the uh, indebtedness that we've incurred in the country. We've built an infrastructure that they're able to use. They, they have benefited. Goods from the, the indebtedness. They can use our airports. Oh, sure. All of our, our, 
our indebtedness doesn't go the into rich a hole. We don't take it to Vegas and use it for gambling. We use, our, we use the money to go out and build a country. We've built a country with a terrific infrastructure, which they have benefited nah, from more than anybody that's else. that's not where the money went. Come on, Jeff. <laughs> where you do know, you think the 401 you know, came from? You know better than that. The, 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 exactly where, the where it went. It went to hospitals. It went to schools. It went to building an infrastructure of roads. It built, went to uh, airports. It went into making this a high-tech country, a country that's sort of among the most advanced in the world. And there are a lot of people who have done very well through that. And the reason they've done well is because we said, if we spend all this money, we're going to have a great country. It's going to make us a lot of money. And well, that's exactly what's happened. But the money have, hasn't been distributed equitably. Have, people who have made their wealth at the expense of taxpayers and the national debt are the class of people that I would regard as the elite. And those are the people who are paid by government to do services on a non-competitive basis. And no, no, the, the, elite, the, the elite are the wealthy. And you, you got to look well, at... Would you call teachers wealthy, for example? No, they're middle class. They're middle class? Well, listen to this statistic here, okay? The bottom 40% of our poorest families owned only 2% of our national wealth, not income. 2% of the national wealth. The richest 1% of families own 25% of the national wealth. That's 40% have 2%. One percent have twenty-five percent. Talking about wealth, we, we always but talk don't forget, about income. Wealth is created; it is not just found in nature and then distributed amongst people as though there was some great injustice done here. It, it, I mean, it, listen, it, Gil, it if you stay at home people and people make the wealth, and then the people who have the power, the rich people, are able to suck off more than their fair share, and that's how they get wealthier. Well, how and wealthier. do they get wealthier? Look, look, if if Henry Ford got wealthy selling cars, he got wealthy because he was able to make them affordable to people who didn't have a lot of money. He got wealthy because a lot of workers made those cars. But let's get back to the poverty thing, because it's the Fraser Institute that really, really annoys me here. Because but that's they, not really our topic today. We're not talking about the Fraser Institute. No, but it, we could talk about the Caledon Institute. We could talk about the Anti-Poverty Coalition. But, you mentioned you know, that the Fraser know, Institute stuff goes to radio stations all across the country. I get stuff from all these other groups, too. Yeah, but they don't have the resources that the Fraser Institute has. Well, what, were you, what resources? You're, you're, you're decrying the resources and saying they can't be trusted anyway. So what, what does it matter? Because, because the media will tend to treat, treat a a think tank as being neutral and, and, and dutifully right down. Well, let me say. read what it says in the free press today about the Fraser Institute and certainly in my experience anytime you read anything about it it is it is uh, it is prefaced in some variation of this in Helen's column she says the conservative Fraser Institute that, they are constantly uh, 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 constantly characterized as being right-wing conservative no, whatever no, so there is now because the reporters are starting to smarten up Gil, Gil, shooting, for years shooting, it was portrayed as being non-biased shooting the messenger doesn't change the message no, but if you, the point is, if you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars to publicize an obscure report... That's not a point at all. The I'm, public gets you the and I are arguing, it's, it's you and I are arguing face-to-face -face here right now about poverty. Forget about the Fraser Institute. What do you think? No, it, What's your opinion? And if you think you have a better opinion than the Fraser Institute, I think it's your obligation to let us know instead of just putting down some group that you obviously have a problem with because you don't agree with them. I, that's obvious. But the point is, it's a political process here. Poverty is a political thing, and you it, betcha. It, and that's, it should not, not be. It should not be political. All right, Gil. Thanks for the call today. And we're going. We have to pause for a moment, but we'll be right back with more on Left, Right, and Center. Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, and we go back to the phones where Jim's waiting. Hi, Jim. Yeah. Good morning, guys. Um, I used to think that I was a capitalist, and um, I still tend to believe I am a conservative and. And a little bit to the to the right, I'm not. If you want to use left, right, and center, but um, I do believe in hard work. I believe hard work should be rewarded. I don't believe that the lazy, or the sluggard, or the slothful should be rewarded in society. Uh, but I've seen capitalism be unleashed out of the cage the last five or six years. 
for years, the capitalists whined, give us free reign and we'll show you what we'll do to society. Well, but Jim, they haven't had anywhere near free reign, even in the last few years. Uh, I, I get, yeah. Lincoln had a good shot at it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think Give me an example, a, uh, Jim. Pardon? Give me an example of what you're talking about. Well, let, let me just, I, I, think, I think we've seen a little bit of them giving uh, some freedom. I'd like to see some more freedom so that they could produce and increase productivity. But I'm afraid that if they do, and guys, I, I, I tend to be a bit to the right here, and this, this, my, my heart is troubled. Uh, I think that if they do, I mean, I've seen all kinds of downsizings and slash and burn the last five, ten years. I mean, what would happen if some stockholder at General Motors got up this year at the, at the meeting and said, well, rather than go for a $7, uh, $7 share, how about a six fifty? and let's keep the, the, the Flint, Michigan plant open? She'd well, be shot down. Well, no, one, in fact, one did do that, uh, uh, and her name escapes me now. She yeah. is, she's a nun. That's why I used that example. Yeah. I couldn't remember her name. And, and uh, I don't believe she was shot down. I think the point was made that that's a decision that has to be made um, by the shareholders, and they make that decision every day on the stock market, whether they would support that or I not. I agree. But my, my point is, I think the number one driving force that's working here in North America or the Western civilization, because I was in the Army, guys, and, and Jim raises a good point about to Helen's column this morning about the levels of poverty. I was in the Army. I've been to Egypt. I've seen us take a deuce and a half truck into the desert to bury the garbage and seen the Bedouins come up out of nowhere just to take pieces of pork chops with leftover meat and bags of sour milk. That's poverty. When you go three or four weeks without food, that's poverty. Here in Canada, our level of poverty is what, 23, 24, 25,000? I mean, how can we say that we really well, have... Well, if you have a big family, that's true. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I'm not but... bashing the poor. I think our definition of the poor in society has to be redefined. And when, like, for instance, if a guy gets handicapped for no cause of his own, say an injury at work, I mean, he's not a welfare bump. Jim, why, why do we even need a definition of poverty? Why don't we have a system where you yourself can decide whether you want to help certain people or not? Well, that's, you use your own I'm, definition. That's what I'm getting to. That's what I'm getting to. I think the number one force in North America is greed, and you cannot legislate morality on a governmental basis. It has to somehow, we have to motivate people to care for the poor. A hundred years ago, when you were poor, there wasn't a stigma. We all cared for people. I don't. I don't no, agree I don't with you. I think Charles Dickens would have agreed with you. I, I think <laughs> we that? have. To, I think we have to motivate the poor to take care of themselves and show them the way and show them how and give them an education system that teaches them accounting and economics and bookkeeping at very <laughs> that, early that's ages. That's not going to help the individual who has and, no food on his table. Well, you're already talking about a damaged situation, but like you say, that poverty doesn't exist in Canada. No, you, not, you not only in Egypt. We don't have. Don't, we don't where, have. Where, by the way, they don't have the capitalism that you're decrying. We don't have so people I don't going to the, your connection. Going to the dumps like they do over in Africa. No. And do we want that standard of living? Well, we certainly have people freezing on the streets in the wintertime, but the thing that strikes me, though, is that uh, we can talk about whether yeah, our poor are yeah, better than I their think... poor. The thing that, that strikes me most, though, is that they're, they've been sort of stuck in Amherst at, at the same time as our wealthy have just rocketed away. Like, wealth in Canada has gone through the roof in this last economic boom time, these last three, four years of economic yep. boom time. And it's just a question of whether it's whether there's something sort of unfair about that. We're all taken off, or well, the middle class aren't, but the wealthy are and, taken off. And I and I'm no socialist, but I, but, but I read a stat the other day that, and this is staggering. Bill Gates could pay every human being on the face of the earth ten dollars, and still be a billionaire. So let's take all his money away from him. No, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. But lots of people do. But how do I motivate Bill Gates to give ten billion dollars to all the food banks in North America? Do you have to do that? 
Do I have to? Does he have that money sitting in the bank no. somewhere? What's his money doing now? Where is I the don't, money? I don't know. But well, how do we motivate individual people to care for each other? Well, well, how do we motivate folks like you to care about Bill Gates? I mean, it, it, you have to care about everybody. And if you don't know what Bill Gates is doing with his money, you I sure don't. as heck don't have any moral right to say no, what, what well, he should be doing. I, 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 maybe, he gives, with it, maybe he gives all kinds of money. No, he doesn't. But, but, but you're right. I, I think, don't know. But I, I, I still think the number one thing in North America is greed. Jim, I appreciate the call. We've got a lot of people waiting, though. question. You know, the I think Jim makes is, an excellent point, though, that, it, that in a way, and, and in a way, maybe we do agree on this, that if you could motivate people to, to care more about this and want to do more, then we wouldn't be sitting here having this debate. Well, you, you say uh, that people you should be free to give if they want to. What For if my you don't end, it's a question of how do I make them want to? What if you don't believe that helping the poor is helping them? What if you actually don't believe that? If, you know, you, uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who are very frustrated at looking at the, these poverty levels that are higher than the money they make, and they're the ones that are being taxed to pay for it, well, and no, they don't understand that. Yeah, but Bob, we've, we've come through a society where we didn't care, where nobody did care about them, where people ostensibly... That's not true. You mean where we didn't have a, a, an entrenched welfare well, system? I'm let's, go back, let's, go back let's go back 100 years on the cusp between economic development and educational development. You go back 200 years, and you can't make valid comparisons because we did not have an ed educated we had an populace. agricultural society, We did. Basically. 100 years ago, though, we were moving very quickly towards a fairly well-educated populace in the terms of being able to access the information technology that was out there then. Even given that, we had unrestrained capitalism, and we, we, we saw the, the result was not pretty. And I think that's why a great many people today are concerned about unrestrained... Well, what, are we well, going so, to, so you're telling me, Jim, that we, the result was worse than what was before? Is that your point? No, it's worse than what we have now. It's worse than we, and I would agree with Jeff, it's worse than what we have now. I don't like what we have now. Yeah, but what we have now, if you're telling me what we have now is because of our social welfare system, I'm going to disagree with no, you. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's because of that. I'm saying that if we, those people, and I'm as, as much of a capitalist as most people, not as all, um, when people start talking about unfettered capitalism, I'm concerned about that, too, because I don't have... Jim, all that capitalism means, it's, it's, it's a philosophy. It means you believe in private property as opposed to state ownership. It means you believe in individual rights as opposed to group rights. That's all it means. Well, I'm, I'm and, not sure. And I'm fundamentally, not, we've seen, though, that it, it has really rough edges when it comes to the poor. That if it, pure unfettered capitalism just has nothing to say for it's the poor. It's got a lot more the going for the poor the than any other system. system. The biggest problem that I have, though, and, and I understand what you're saying, that there may be people who genuinely believe that the best thing to do with the poor is not to help them because then they'll become self-reliant. Well, but, but that argument is tainted, though, by self-interest. Because when I hear that, I think, well, you're just justifying keeping your money. You know, in a way, if I saw you walking the walk somewhat, and I don't know, if, uh, some way of, of proving that, uh, that that's not what it's about. For you, it's not about keeping your own money, that you're generous in other ways, but that you genuinely believe that this is the best way to help the poor. That's one thing, well, but point is, it, just, not, it has that, that that's not your call. order surrounding it. That's not your call to decide what my motivations are. Just well, is it wrong, then, for me to believe call. that it's self-interest? If, if I hear someone saying, I care for the poor so much that I don't want to give them any money, and that'll make them self-reliant, is it wrong for me to think, oh, you're just justifying yeah, I wanna, keeping I wanna, your money? I want to I put another, another uh, 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 ingredient into this pot today. One of the one of the problems, and, and people who work in this area will tell you this, one of the serious problems, people long term suffering from long-term poverty, and I'm going to use the word suffering advisedly, one of the biggest problems is the lack or the diminution of their mental capabilities to rise above the problems they face. 
Now, we talk about in a self-reliant society, and we talk about you've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and you've got to get on and do it, and there's no question that some people are eminently capable of doing that because we see the results every day. There are people who can rise above every type of adversity that comes their way. There are people that can not only face it but beat it. There are people that build huge fortunes having started with absolutely nothing and face serious obstacles along the way. The reality, the, the hard, cold reality is, though, that we are talking about the human animal. And there are many human animals out there who lose or lack the kind of intestinal fortitude or mental toughness that they need to pull themselves out of this hole in the ground. And, and uh, that's where I have a little bit of trouble with the idea that we have to leave these people to be self-sufficient. I'm not talking that welfare is going to solve their problem. That's not what I mean. But there is no question that there are large numbers of human beings on this planet today who are suffering Jim. from a variety of... And I'm not talking about self-esteem issues oh, or that no. sort of thing. I'm talking about depression, good old-fashioned clinical depression, which is a disease which is rampant on this planet and which, which can rob you of the ability to rise above no, these problems. There's no, no doubt about anything you're saying there but what are you implying are you are you suggesting that I'm saying that people should not be helped if we see help in no 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 I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not attacking you at all I'm simply trying to put this other element in here when we talk about self-sufficiency when we talk about taking responsibility for your actions and I am as loud on that one as anybody around when we talk about that we cannot overlook the fact that there is a and I believe this very strongly there is a disease rampant in our society there is a mental health issue here and it's a it, it it manifests itself in a lot of different ways but but chronic depression is is uh, is a reality for many many people in our society and it's what keeps a whole lot of people down and if you've if you've never been there it's hard to, and i'm not talking about you bob if you've never been there it's hard to imagine what it's like i have been there I have suffered, suffered from, from chronic depression, and I know what it's like to be down there. It's not a case of you're down and you've got to find, you've got to climb up. You don't even know where up is. You don't even know what up is anymore. Mm -hmm. Those people are in a particular problem, and a great many people who are economically disadvantaged, either as a result of this condition or the condition results because of the economic disadvantage, those are the people that we have to find a way to reach because they can't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. They cannot pull themselves out of it. They cannot, they cannot look at a problem and see an opportunity. They're not, a, I, this is my belief here, I don't believe they are able to do that. How do we deal with those people? I think I should go home now. There's nothing more I can say. You've said <laughs> But, you know, to me, that is the great issue, and that's the great problem of poverty. Well, it's my issue is not how do we deal with them. My issue is how should we not deal with them in the sense of what are the things we should not do and one of the things we shouldn't do is force our fellow neighbors to help if they don't want to. I just, I, I mean, if you made a long list of two million things and two million ways to help these people, that would not be on my list. And yet that's the only way and the only solution that most people see. And I, I don't think it, it helps to throw money at a situation. Uh, the kind of the situation you describe is one that requires very personal and close attention by loved ones, by neighbors, friends, no, family, no, 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 if no, at all no, possible, no. and professionals getting in professional. there. Professional, and well, as I mean, much as I hate may, to say What I'm suggesting, it may be up to the family to get the professionals into the scene. But the professionals aren't available to many of these people. And, well, the that, funds aren't there. Well, then that's, uh, if the family cares enough, they'll pool, they'll ask for money, it doesn't they'll make, go to it, a it doesn't help. It doesn't help any. You could, uh, it, it doesn't matter how much money you've got in your pocket, you can't access mental health services in this province. You can't get ahead of the, uh, you can't jump up on the list, unless you're some really wealthy guy who can afford to hire a private psychiatrist. Well, so you're talking about waiting lists. 
Well, I'm for, I, for a socialized medical care system. No, no, I'm what? talking about the fact you're saying that the family should come together, the community raise the money to get the help for this individual. What I'm saying is it isn't necessarily a dollars and cents issue for that individual. Precisely. And, and what if the whole family's poor? Where do they get the money then to do this? To do but it's also, that stuff's extremely expensive. The cost of, of you running into a disaster is why we do have social programs. That's why you do buy insurance well, and stuff. Exactly. You're talking about hundreds of thousands no, of dollars. Now, hang on a second here. Jim is describing the situation. You're saying that these people exist now, right? There's all kinds of them. And now, we already have, but supposedly, would it be worse? all no, the social agencies no. in place to help them, right? We don't have the kinds of agencies in place to help this epidemic of mental illness. No, we do not. And, we don't have it in place. And, and what, what is, you know, so you're saying we should spend more? Not necessarily. That that cure the no, problem? no, I'm no? not saying that money is going to cure the problem. All I'm saying is the system as it exists today, and I do tend to be a pragmatist about, about, uh, about uh, philosophical issues relative but, but to real you're problems. You're using the today. word system. That means money. There's got to be money in here somewhere, the way the money is distributed. No, you're I'm, saying when I say, system. okay, a society then. I'll change it. I've used the wrong word. A society, a community, whatever word you want to use for all of us together. The way we are today in this collective, whatever that may mean, right. We do not have adequate resources to deal with the levels of mental illness that are out there. And I'm not saying that everybody poor is crazy. I don't mean that. I'm talking about chronic depression, which is rampant in this country yeah. for whatever reason. And there's a lot of depressed people who are making money, too. Sure there are. So, so that's not a cause and effect situation. You, you just oh, introduced the whole... It can be, but, but then again, there are people who are chronically depressed, even people who can be drug addicted or alcoholic, who are making lots well, of money. I was but when I, I hear, though, about people and that all poor people need to do is pull themselves up by their bootstraps and have that mental toughness, I know I don't, I don't have it. Nobody I know has it. You know, there are a few heroic people out there who are just extraordinary, and perhaps they can claw their way out. But for you and me, the average person, we don't have that kind of uh, uh, heroic quality. And I think that's the problem. And when you talk about the, the depression issue, that is a I, I don't know what the answer is no. to that. We have to go to the phone, so we got people waiting. Stu's with us. Hi, Stu. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Fine, thanks. Good. I just have, a, I guess, a kind of a quick comment. Um, you were talking a while ago, before we got into a number of different things here, um, about um, the fact that if you're, if you're given, you know, if people are given self-reliance, or uh, if, they're, if they're forced to succeed, they will. No, you know, I, don't, if, no if, I don't agree with that. No, I, I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying we were talking about that. Okay, all right. And... Uh, uh, what, one thing I, I want to comment about, I was, I was working with a, a group of, of natives up in Manitoulin Island, and the Native Canadians, and it was at a reserve, and I was chatting with one of the ladies there, and this is just some of you guys that you want to think about, and she was saying, I was looking at the place, and they were, it looked like complete and total poverty, uh, where they lived amongst this reserve, and I said to the, one of the ladies there, who was one of the natives who were living on the reserve, I said, you know, how do you guys, how do you live like this? How, how do you survive? And she said, I said, and why don't people want to ever make themselves better or, or, or succeed? And she said, you know, when you're given everything by the government and you know if, it, if all else fails, they'll continue to give it to you, there's really no desire to succeed. And it's just something to think about in poverty. I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't have the social programs at all, but there is, there is a, a piece there that people do once they're given things over and over again, and they know they can, they can get their, their basic necessities covered, sometimes they don't necessarily have any desire to do anything else with their lives and, and to get out of a poverty-type situation. Stu, appreciate the call. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks. And Denny's been waiting very patiently. Hi, Denny. Hi, Jim. Uh, they, I guess uh, you've covered a lot of points that uh, I agree with, and the last caller, uh, the same. But And I, I think we continually get bogged down on the business of wants and needs of people. Mm-hmm. They, like we're defining things that are that we're calling them needs and they're just wants like uh, take out pizza and cable TV and all that 
but if you were this business of entitlement is what gets me and I, and I uh, probably if the if you look at Canada as just being part of the world here where to we're probably where the entitlement thing breaks down in terms of what the poor need uh, is the assumption that the people in the bushes of New Guinea are, are entitled to flush toilets and things like we are over here and we we know that that can't work they don't necessarily want them uh, nor in their mind need them so why would we get in, involved in making the decision that these people need this or need that uh, in, in that country and then move that back here to Canada and say the, and look at it the same way? We can't make decisions for people who don't necessarily need these things. Uh, we're, we're, we're using up the resources of people who've worked real hard to get them uh, to, to satisfy the, the people at the, uh, the, the, what we're calling the poor rather than encouraging the poor to strive to do a little better. Appreciate the call, Danny. Thank you. Take care. We have to pause for a moment. We'll be back with more Left, Right, and Center. And we are back. It's Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. Uh, just a couple minutes left, but let's get Connie on. Hello, Connie. Hey, Jim. How are you this morning? I'm fine, thank you. I'm totally with you with regard to the chronic depression perspective. I, too, have been there mm -hmm. and uh, agree that unless you've been there, you don't understand. Yeah. Uh, I, I work a lot with the Al-Anon program, if you're familiar with yes. that. Mm -hmm. And quite often... Um, we welcome people into the program um, that have been in touch with addiction throughout their lives, whether by themselves or family members. And we've come to learn over time that depression is quite a large component of addiction. Mm -hmm. I believe in solving the problem at the source. Rather than giving people money to live or whatever, I would love that money to go into the mental health part of our society because mm -hmm. I think that once the mental health problems are resolved, we're giving these people their life back, their yes. self-respect back. Yep. It allows them to become enthusiastic about themselves and their families and I, I really believe in giving them their life back and I agree that the resources, um, both in terms of money and the number of counselors available, are not there right now mm -hmm. and I think um, my perspective on poverty is that we really need to support the people that can't support themselves. Those that can should be working, but those that can't, that's where we should be helping them through the mental health system. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Connie. You're welcome. Appreciate it. just want to uh, wrap this up, and then we'll come back give each of you guys the last word. We kind of went off the track a little bit on this mental health issue, but to me it is, uh, it is of paramount importance right now. We have a medical crisis in this country. We are very concerned about finding cures and and treatments for all kinds of terminal illnesses and debilitating physical illnesses we spend zillions of dollars a year and rightly so on heart disease and tumors and all sorts of things but the amount of funding we put into uh, into mental health care is just pitiful in this country and i believe very strongly that's one of the biggest social problems we have we have people at a number of levels of of our society who are simply not to put too fine a point on it and not to try to oversimplify who simply are not happy every day they cannot be happy. And I don't believe you can be successful unless you're happy. I don't think you can see the light at the end of the tunnel unless you've got some sense that life is worth living. And if you don't believe it is, then, it, you know, all that light is the train coming to run you down. Now, having said all that, Bob, I'll give you the last word. Well, there's a lot of truth to that, what you're saying, Jim, but, but health is a separate issue from poverty. I mean, some pe you, you may be correct. Some people are poor because of depression. Some people might be poor because of cancer. Some people might be poor because of a, a host of diseases and conditions, but I don't think we're talking about 
the mass of people and the and the, and the, the size of the welfare bureaucracy we've got that addresses all those kinds of issues. If anything, our universal system is making it less possible for us to direct resources and to I agree, those pinpointed I issues. Yeah, I don't want to see more money put into the social service system. I don't. No, think that's we have the to go straight to the root of the problem. And and you know, I've always said that government should be the last resource of of uh, of it, you know help a help agency. It shouldn't be the first, which is what the word entitlement implies. Jeffrey, final word to you? Well, I'm concerned about where we're going, and when I look at the, you know, bearing in mind again, we're in the, sort of the tail end of a boom time. The last time we were there, we only had a third as many people uh, who needed social assistance as they do now, and they got paid more then than they do now. And I think about 10 and 20 years from now, and I worry about where we're going. Uh, to me, you've got to instill hope. I agree, warehousing people is no answer, but uh, I just worry about things like schools being cut back, healthcare not being available. I think mental health is a big, big problem in poverty. And uh, I think we've got to address those things or it's just going to get a lot worse. Gentlemen, thank you. Informative and thought-provoking as always. Thanks, uh, the guys will be back next Wednesday for the next edition of Left, Right and Center. Make sure you join me for that. Uh, on tomorrow's program, if you're worried about getting the health care you need, this ties in, doesn't it? We've got a new guide for you.